Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. Now before we get into this, I just wanna talk about being on the back foot. Now we know that I talk about one of the most taboo topics that's out there. In fact, I think we'd struggle to find one that's more taboo. So these social media platforms, YouTube, the podcast apps, the algorithms and the computer system behind the scenes will read this content, the phrases that I use, the words that I use, and see that it's about child sexual abuse. And therefore they consider that as sensitive, controversial, and explicit so it won't promote my work like it would if I was a fitness channel or a cooking channel etc so I'm asking for your help I'm asking for this to be a team effort because I cannot do this alone please do share this podcast around your friendship group please do send it to somebody who you think would find value in it and please do hit the like button on this episode and do leave a comment in the comment section with your thoughts and opinions if you wish to do so again this has to be team effort if we stand any chance to spread this work to those that need it now also as always if you're new to this work i've got two websites ongoing the first one is jeremyindica.com the second is something to say official.com you're going to find all my work there all the different sides of this project it's really interesting and engaging go check it out now this podcast was a challenge to record i really was worried about how i was going to articulate the information that i wanted to get out there but I got to the end of it and I'm proud and I think it's been recorded really really well so I hope you enjoy it engage with it get into it we can do anything we set our mind to thank you okay so Let's try this out. Now, I'm always thinking about ideas for potential podcast episodes. And if you've been following this podcast, either on YouTube or on your usual podcast app, you would have seen that I've got three main styles of podcast episodes. Number one is where I bring on a guest to help us understand the complexities of the area that they're involved in. It's usually a professional or somebody that's worked in that field. So that's the first style of podcast that I do. The second one is where I pick a video or a film or a piece of content that I've seen online and I review it and give my thoughts commentating as the video is played. That's number two. And number three is this, where I just sit in front of the camera because I've just got something to say because I've got something in my mind that I want to explain or even just try to articulate in some way so that I understand that I've got it clear in my head and I keep seeing that it's a either a misunderstanding or misconception when I'm doing this work online. Now, I haven't actually done one of these for a little while now, but here we go with an attempt at one. Now, the topic that I want to try my best to cover. And just to let you know, I'm actually feeling a bit nervous about this one. Because the first title that I had in my mind, I feel like that's the way my mind is working. I I think in titles and then um, think about how that could be um, elaborated or or, or, or gone, gone into, investigated further, should I say. And the first title that I thought was One Million Sides to Child Sexual Abuse. And I thought that was a really interesting title because I believe there are one million sides to this complex situation and this horrific crime that's going on with two, sorry, not with children, two children. And the reason why I 
feel like this is a strong point is the more that I present to schools, the more that I present to teachers, professionals at conferences, I see the audience be either surprised, shocked or confused when I start talking about the different sides of this situation and this crime that we've all got on our hands. Now, I think that most people think that when it comes to the sexual abuse of a child, that it's violent and forceful. Now, this is what I'm getting at, because in my situation, it wasn't that. And the more stories that we share on the Something to Say platform that I run, the more we see that violence and force is not always a part of somebody's story. So this title of one million uh, sides to child abuse was was the was the first thing that that came into my mind and the first thing that really initiated uh, this podcast episode. Then I started thinking about it further and I actually have been speaking in the last week to uh, primary schools. So uh, for anybody that's not in the UK, um, primary schools and actually (laughs) I'm just about to try to give the age group of children at primary schools and I'm not going to be able to um, uh, do that uh, uh, factually. I think it is children from four to seven can somebody comment on this episode and let me know if I've got that right but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm somewhere uh, near the mark there and when I'm going in and speaking to these teachers because my presentation is suitable for, for for teachers in fact it's so useful for teachers and I know that from the feedback that I'm getting from them they're so shocked and surprised because the safeguarding training that they go through which is phenomenal by the way it's so good I've sat in on some of these safeguarding courses now and I've sat in on some of these teacher training days and it is all about spotting signs it's all about noticing the signs or behavior patterns that a child may show if they are experiencing sexual abuse behind closed doors I'm so happy that that's happening but it is just one one piece of the puzzle. I truly believe it is only one piece of the puzzle. I believe, and I'm going out there on a whim here, and, and you know, I am not sure... It's not that I'm not sure that I should say this. It's more... I think I should be confident with myself a little bit more and give myself a little bit more credit to say this. That safeguarding training... The safeguarding training that professionals go through, that teachers go through, which again, I just want to say, I'm not knocking it down. It's brilliant. But it is only one piece of the puzzle. How many stories am I now reading talking about people expressing what happened to them and me hearing that actually what they went through was something that they thought was a game? was something that they went through and thought it was something that all children did. 
it was something that actually gave them some comforting feelings, that actually made them feel loved in some way, that actually gave them attention that they weren't getting anywhere else. Now, we all know about children and teenagers. They are desperate for attention. Desperate. And I use the word desperate on purpose because actually that could be considered as a slightly negative term. But how often do you see young, young children being like, Mum, look at me. Mum, mum, mum. Mum, mum. Dad, dad. Look at me. Watch me. Watch me. Look at me. They're desperate. They're desperate for attention. And then teenagers are exactly the same. Teenagers are looking for praise, compliments, and as they develop of maturity, where they start becoming interested in sex, attention on when they receive attention of a sexual nature, you're very pretty, you're hot, you're fit, any of those things. It's what us humans want. We all were that age once and we all remember all about that. We all remember all about that. So when we start to think about sexual abuse not being violent and not being forceful then we can start to notice some of the other pieces of this puzzle. Now, I am not wanting to let anybody that's watching or listening to this know that I see you if the abuse that you went through when you were a child was violent and forceful. I see you too. It's it's not too. Um, I'm not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to downplay any a- anything. I'm not trying to push any type of abuse to the side. I'm not trying to say that you're in a minority if you experience sexual abuse in whatever way. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just trying to provide an appreciation for the fact that, and I say it again, sexual abuse in someone's childhood. The perpetrator can sometimes make it soft, considered to be from the child as caring, could make it, could manipulate the child into thinking that this is loving, that this is what we should do together, that this is something that you should be lucky that it's happening. It could be something that... um, Something that the perpetrator could trick the child into thinking that they need it. Now, for people that have never been through sexual abuse in childhood, this could be either blowing your mind or you could be thinking that this is ridiculous. You could be thinking, how could this even happen? How could you trick a child into doing something of a sexual nature? Now... Excuse me. In these presentations, what I'm doing is I am now, after I've told my story, which is the first half of the presentation, the second half of the presentation, I'm talking about this, actually. I actually now start talking about this because this is the thing that I want to bring to the table. And what I actually do is I split I split the age groups into two. 
So I talk about pre-pubescent children and post-pubescent children. And this is working really well because when we think about those two age categories and for anyone for anyone that those terms is the first time you've heard them, prepubescent is children before they've gone through puberty and postpubescent is for children that are either going through or are after puberty. So we we all know that those two age categories, um, those people, those children, those teenagers in those two age categories are almost so different in nature, right? You take a seven-year-old, how childlike, how playful, how innocent to the world, how how free, how how um, how, uh, how how different they are to uh, a teenager who's 14 I mean it's like it's like to those two age groups the world is completely different to them so back to my point of well let's take this seven-year-old how would you even get a seven-year-old to do something sexual with you they're not even developed in a way that is sexual they could at that age they can't understand the concept of sex they've got no sexual thought in their head they've got no sexual bone in their body their 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 actual body is still so childlike none of the sexual features have developed but not just that their brain is still playing with toys and watching cartoons and messing around and being a child right being a child People are confused with how you would get this seven-year-old to do something sexual with you. And my response is, do you not realise how easy it would be to get a child who's seven-year-old to do something sexual with you? It would actually be easy. The grooming process is easy. Now, when I say that on stage, you can see the audience and they're all like, what? It, it, it either strikes them, it, it either surprises them, it either shocks them, or or actually, I can see some people are a little bit angry that I said that. But then I give this example, right? I've got this example that I just think is truly, truly, truly powerful. Now, please, again, give me your feedback on this, um, because I, 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 I do see the audience s- start to understand when I use this example, but please comment on this podcast and let me know what you think about this. So I say, grooming a child, using the example that we're using of seven years old, is actually easy. And then it gives people the shock. And then I say, to make my point stronger or to back my point or to highlight my point, I like to use an example. And that example is the story of Father Christmas. Then I say, but by the way, just to let you know, I've got nothing against the story of Father Christmas. I think it's truly magical and a great part of people's childhood. Now, what's really interesting is, as I'm saying this, you when I say that, and by the way, I've got nothing against the story of Father Christmas, you can see some people in the audience, they give me a little smile because they see that there's just a little bit, there's not a laugh there, but there's just a little bit of a smile there in the way that I deliver it. And honestly, 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 it's so welcoming just to 
cut the tension because remember by now I've told my story for the first half of the presentation like the, the the atmosphere in the room is like the tension is at 10 out of 10 it's like maximum capacity so just to get that smile is great and then I go on to say the story of Father Christmas it's a story that couldn't be further from reality you've got one man who goes round in one night, delivers presents to all the children in the world, and he's on a sleigh being pulled by flying reindeer. That story is so crazy, and again, so far from reality, but the children truly believe it. They are completely invested in it, because it's told to them year on year, and very powerfully, it has the promise of presents at the end. And also, what becomes really interesting is that in the month of December, you can kind of control that child using the story. You can say that if they don't behave, or if they don't do their chores, or if they don't do X, Y, and Z, then Father Christmas is not coming because Father Christmas is always watching. And then you see, oh, I feel like then the penny drops. Oh my goodness. Children's brains, prepubescent children's brains, are so easily influenced, so easily manipulated. And really, the world that we create for them is the world that they're in and they know no different. Think about when you were a child and you went to someone else's house and they did things completely different. Maybe their parents were completely different. Maybe their dinner time was completely different. Maybe whatever, whatever you want to pick there. And when you were that child, you're like, oh, I thought, that's weird. They do dinner time there, or they have dinner time like this, or they have to do this after school before they can play. And then all of a sudden it questions your reality because you thought your reality was was normal. You thought your reality was what everyone was doing. So so all of these things show the, 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 the true... Um, the true weakness almost that's the wrong word that's the wrong word weakness is the wrong word it shows the vulnerability in young children so again back to my point you could tell a child a story you could tell a child that this is what they should be doing you should you could tell the child that this is mine and your game and get the child to start doing sexual things with you it's like we got to get out of our head that sexual abuse of a prepubescent child or a child is going to be sexual intercourse. Like, the, the spectrum is so large, you can't believe it. You can have a predator that gets off on the child touching his, pri his private area on just on the outside... Sexual abuse? Yes or no? 100% yes. You're exploiting that child to do something sexual with you. What about getting the child to... Let's push it a little bit further. Getting the child to kiss you. Saying that this was a special thing that we did and only grown-ups did this and you'll get a present for your online game. A present that nobody can ever see if you do this with me. Or, or, you know, and, and we're just... We're just thinking about what some may consider 
as the the less the, the the one end of the section. See, see, I have to be so careful with my words, don't I? Because what I was just about to say was the softer side of sexual abuse. No, no, no. That's 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 an error by me. There's no softer side, harder side. There's no um, not so sexual abuse and really sexual abuse. There's no um, uh, uh, light sexual abuse and extreme sexual. Like it's all. It's all sexual under the heading sexual abuse i don't think we should start categorizing it because the trauma inflicted by a six-year-old girl who was trained by her uncle to touch his private area on the outside and when she gets to 25 she realized she was exploited and abused and now she's not sure how to handle it because her uncle has always been nice to her and she's confused and she feels shameful that she got tricked into that all of those things it doesn't matter whether it's what what type what action what what was implemented on the child it's trauma and it's disgust, and it's a lifetime of trying to unpack that and heal from it. So that leads me then to the conversation of how important it is to talk about private areas. Now, I've talked about this so many times. I don't want to get too deep into it because I want to move on to some more things. But, you know, the conversation around private areas... Anyone that's hesitant to do that with their child, I believe, is thinking that that conversation needs to be about sex. It's nothing to do with sex. When you teach your child where the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the legs, the lungs, the heart, whatever age your child is and whatever level of education that they are, you just teach them where the private areas are too. Uh, The mouth area, the chest area, the groin area, the bottom area, and you just say to them, look... These are your areas. If anybody touches you there or goes near there, you are to come and tell mum and dad. Or if somebody else asks you to go near theirs, you are to tell mum and dad. That's just against the rules and and we don't do it. Like like that like, as a starter, let's let's just start with that. It's not about sex, you know, and it's not about ruining a child's innocence. I mean, the stranger danger conversation, which we know is necessary and we all have with children uh, from the time that they can understand words. If, if, if we want to talk about that conversation on private areas, ruining a child's innocence when it's just labelling the body parts, the stranger danger conversation is definitely uh, ruining the child's innocence, even though I fully support that conversation and um, it's absolutely necessary. We need to have that because unfortunately we live in a world where some people are snatching and kidnapping children and taking them away from their mummy and daddy. That's the point I'm trying to make. When you talk about the stranger danger to a child, you're actually saying, don't talk to anyone that mummy or daddy doesn't know because they may take you away from us. But we're happy to have that conversation. So now I've explained that the private area conversation isn't even about sex or danger in some way. Let's just have it. Yeah. Let's just have it as a standard. And let's progress it as the age progresses. So then we start talking about post-pubescent teenagers. I honestly think separating the age groups into these two categories is is just really useful and the more that I do it 
the more I see the worth in it or how effective it is. Because then we start to get to teenagers and we're like, okay, so teenagers have got it sorted then. Because if we've been implementing the conversation around private areas since the time they were X, put your number in there. Hopefully, as we move forward, we'll see that it's the same age that we're teaching stranger danger to them. So, you know, for some, we could say five. By the time that teenager is of an age where they're going through puberty, now just for this recording and this conversation, let's just take the age of 13. They would have been talked to about private areas, consent, body awareness, like throughout their life, and they will be so ready for that conversation. They, they, they know it, right? They got that knowledge, they got those tools, and we stand one massive improvement of chance that they will tell us if something's going on with them before it's too late. But that's not where it ends, because you then have these teenagers who are now got an interest in sex because they're going through puberty and and maybe not directly sex, but maybe uh, an interest in looking hot, looking fit, looking attractive to the opposite sex, looking desirable, being desired, getting attention for their looks, all of those things. Do you remember what it used to be like back in those days? You remember what it used to be like as a teenager when you started becoming self-conscious and you started like bathing in any compliment that you got for like, um, I, I don't know, your hair was done different and your peers are praising you. You're wearing something that your peers are praising you. You you have your first kiss. You have your first hookup. You, 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 you pulled the hottest girl in the school. Whatever. Like, like, let's just get real with how teenagers' lives are and how we were like. You know, you know, I don't think things like that have changed that much. You know, I really don't. But they come across their own situations. Now, again, back to this title, One Million Sides of child sexual abuse which the more I thought about that title the more I thought about actually changing it because I am fighting for people's attention I don't know how else to say it Now, I don't know whether you've ever seen anyone scroll through their social media before. They are scrolling at a rapid, rapid rate. You can't even believe it. It's like they give um, probably just about half a second to each post before they decide whether they want to either read a little bit more or watch a little bit more or just actually just go straight past that. So it is about this clickbaity stuff. It's true. We're we're trying our hardest for people to engage with our content, and sometimes you need to put a shocking title on your video or um, a shocking uh, thumbnail to grab that person's attention, and so you stand the most chance that they click on your content. In particular, YouTube. I mean, this is a constant battle for me 
because I'm talking about the most taboo topic that there is. I've discussed with some people on a number of occasions trying to think of a more taboo topic, but we couldn't, and I'm trying to spread it. And that's a challenge. It's like I'm always on the back foot. So after, for the past, how long have I been thinking about this podcast episode? Probably about four or five weeks. And the one million sides to child sexual abuse seemed like a good thumbnail title. But then I thought, well, what about... What about something like this? Sexual abuse can feel nice. Because that's going to cause the person that comes across that thumbnail with that title on it to think, what the hell is that about? It's going to invoke some emotion. And then I'm going to stand a good chance that they click on that video. And we've talked about how sexual abuse can feel nice at the time for prepubescent children. That caring, that loving, that touch, that praise, that compliments. They may be in a situation where they find what they're doing a little gross, something their instinct is telling them that, but they're not of the maturity to assess that, analyze it, and make an adult decision about it. They're five years old, they're seven years old, they're nine years old. They're getting the praise, the compliments, the presence, the comfort, and it's something like touching or fondling or kissing or or hugging or letting the perpetrator touch them in a certain way. That's all part of the game. So we've covered that. Now we're talking about teenagers. And then this conversation gets equally as complex. Let me throw this out there. A 13-year-old girl has a boyfriend who's 19 years old. And that boyfriend has made her think that they're in love. And he's cool because he's got a car. And all of those girls' friends think this is crazy and exciting and cool. And in the 13-year-old girl's eyes, there's no problems. this, this, This boy, he loves me. I'm in a relationship. This is my first ever boyfriend. Now, as as us adults, we are not, that is not with the rules. That is not allowed. We do not allow that. But you can see how the child thinks that this is all nice. That 13-year-old girl thinks this is all nice. And when that 19-year-old boy is teaching her how to kiss him and encouraging her to touch him and saying, don't worry, you'll be safe with me and um, none of your friends would ever have this opportunity. I don't know, whatever they do, that young girl thinks this is, like, she's buzzing. She can't believe how cool she is. She can't believe how much status she's getting from her pals. Like, this is real. Yeah, this is real life. This is real life. So thinking about moving that um, title of sexual abuse can feel nice just seems like one that may cover this video a little better. Now, if you're when you're now now that you're watching this or or listening to this, you will see the title that I actually decided on, and it may actually not be either of those two because once I edit these things, um, I then. Uh, watch it back quite a few times because I'm always trying to learn with the different ways I'm communicating because I'm always trying to upskill myself to be 
um, to, to, to be able to communicate these topics in the clearest, most relatable way that I can. And sometimes I change the title com- completely. So yes, uh, whatever you see the title as is what I went for. And let's see whether whether I went for either of these two or, or not. Um, and by the way, just quick one, for anyone that's out there that does any video editing that would like to come and join my team. I want to build this podcast more. So I need video editors, audio editors, uh, production people, anybody that knows anything about podcasts, please, please come and help me. So when I'm talking about this on my presentation, I think this part is something that people can like understand a little bit better. The post-pubescent conversation. Is it that they can understand it better or is it that it is, um, it's less horrifying. <laughs> Again, are we going to start scaling this thing? I don't think it's useful to do that. But, you know, the 19-year-old on the 13-year-old is is the same problem as the 19-year-old on the 7-year-old. Like, it's all the same problem. But our human nature probably allows us to accept the crime of the 19-year-old and the 13-year-old a lot better than the 19-year-old and the 7-year-old. So where I'm talking about prepubescent children, there's so much disgust and horror. And then when I talk about the postpubescent teenagers, it's almost like that lands a little better. But to hammer my point home with the postpubescent teenagers, I use this as an example because I introduce it as that they are almost equally as vulnerable as the prepubescent children, but in different ways. And I talk about this TikTok story that I have. It's my own experience. And let me tell you that here. And again, please comment with whether you think this is a good example or not, because then your feedback's valuable to me because I can make adjustments um, depending on what you say. So I say this. So I say, let me tell you a little bit about my experience with TikTok. And then I say, but just before I start that, for anyone that doesn't have TikTok, for anyone that hasn't downloaded TikTok, please do not do that because you're going to lose hours in minutes. And when I'm doing that to the teachers, you get another laugh, you get a little smile because anyone that's on TikTok knows how addictive it is. And, you know, those teachers are going to be on there as well and and they will also know. So there's a little bit of a a light-hearted kind of joke that I can deliver there, again, that cuts the tension of the subject of the presentation. Those bits are working really well. And I say to um, my audience, I talk about me kicking off uh, a TikTok account. And I say that I did that because there's a huge audience there. And it's predominantly the platform that younger people are using. So I can reach them there with my content. And I needed to learn about how that platform was working because, um, you know, I don't have a social media team. It is largely just me. I do have a small team that work for me on the something to say stuff, but on the Jeremy Indica stuff, it's largely just me. So I needed to learn what people were posting on TikTok, etc. Now, because I'm a brand new user, TikTok needs to see as soon as possible what I'm largely interested in because then it can start to tailor my home feed using the very complex sophisticated algorithms and show me what I'm mostly interested in to keep me on the platform as long as possible so that they can 
essentially sell things to me. That's how that whole how that whole system works. So the first things that it shows me, because I'm a 37-year-old male, is cars, machines, sport, and women. They are the things that they feel in general terms are most likely gonna stop and pay attention to. So I'm scrolling through, I really noticed this, and they're throwing me some women as well. And remember, I've got millions of years of evolution inside of my brain. Good looking women in revealing clothing is always gonna catch my attention. And one comes up, she's around my age, maybe in her early 30s, in revealing clothing. And she's actually on TikTok Live. Now, this does catch my attention, so I stop on that post temporarily. And I'm like, oh, wow. All these, there's a scroll of comments at the bottom on this TikTok Live. And I'm like, I wonder what people are saying. So I click on it, and I start reading. And it is just men saying the most obscene things. You can't even believe it. So I read these comments for a couple of minutes. I then come out of that. I go back onto my home feed, my news feed, and then TikTok has been like, ah, oh, he's interested in women, right? So let's just start throwing him all different styles of what people are posting when it comes to women in revealing good-looking clothing. I'm scrolling through, I'm scrolling through. <clears throat> and because I interacted with the TikTok Live, it's putting lots of TikTok Lives on there, and I come across one, two girls. They couldn't be older than 15. Now, on TikTok Live, that's okay. I believe that the rules are 13 and above, so these two girls weren't doing anything illegal. They're allowed to be on there. And I thought, oh my goodness. I wonder what the comment section is saying on this. So I click on it. I start scrolling through and it is just men, but not saying the outright obscene things that they were saying to the older woman, but this time the comments were coercive. And I want to use the word slimy. They were saying, you're so pretty. Why don't you show me a little more? Can I have your number? I'd love to take you out. It was so like cringy and and like, oh, you know, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, this is not a world we want to live in. Let me give you a bit more information. There were two girls on the screen, as I mentioned. One wearing a crop top, showing her stomach and her arms. The other one was wearing a jumper, fully covered. All of these comments were directed towards the girl in the crop top, You've got such a sexy stomach. Oh, show me your arms. Do you mind pulling your sleeve up a little bit more? Can we see a little bit more of your belly? All of those. Now, interestingly, as you watch this, the girl in the jumper, you could see quite obviously, was getting uncomfortable with what was going on. So she actually walks off the camera and comes back with a crop top on. Why? What was she getting uncomfortable with? She even, did, she even said when she sat back down, oh, I just got a bit hot, so I wanted to make a change. Innocently. She's vulnerable. She's a teenager. And as we've already talked about, she wants praise. Of course she does. She's, let's say, the age was 15 years old. And there's men constantly commenting on how this girl with the crop top on, originally, is pretty and sexy and hot and desirable. This other girl wants a bit of it. 
Of course she does. Like, of course she does. That's her nature. That's a human's nature. So she comes back with a crop top on. And I just feel like this story is so strong because it shows how vulnerable teenagers are in nature, how they respond to somebody giving them compliments and praise, and how this could easily lead to a sexual abuse situation, how this could easily lead to a relationship with an older man, how this could easily lead to meeting up with an older man for the first time and him pushing her into doing things that she's not exactly comfortable with, but him comforting the situation saying how amazing she is and how brilliant she is and how exciting this is and how much he likes her and how much he'd like to treat her and take care of her but nobody is to know about this he'll say this has got to be our little secret so again the title sexual abuse can feel nice the person that's being perpetrated on the victim can think that they're in this for themselves and this is the part that I just want to talk about more in fact since I've been doing these presentations as it's evolving because every time I do one I think about it heavily like so heavily you can't even believe it I'm thinking about what was weak what was strong what I thought the audience liked what I thought the audience were engaged in and I'm constantly adapting it and evolving it and rewriting certain parts to make it the best that it possibly can be with a vision and a dream in the future to rent theatre halls and um, almost stadiums and deliver this as a one and a half hour or a one hour set depending on how it goes like a comedian does like a stand-up comedian does I don't know whether you saw the post that I put out on social media last week um, or a couple of weeks ago about Matt Rife and how quick he is on the stage and how he interacts with the audience so skillfully you can't even believe how what a talent that man has on the stage and I believe I can do something with this topic I can make it something that people want to come and see and has a level of entertainment but leaves everybody thinking my goodness I've never thought about any of that like that before so this concept is what my presentation seems to be evolving into because I believe this whole thing about us thinking that sexual abuse is only violent and forceful is what that that is what safeguarding is covering right the safeguarding courses is covering that now i did go on a i would say better one than the nspcc's one because the nspcc's online course was the first one that i did to get a certificate to silence the critics who started writing posts about me saying that i was a concern and that school should not bring me in because i don't have any safeguarding training that is a conversation for another time but I went out and did the safeguarding training because I wanted to silence them and their irrational posts. Why not DM me about it? Do you know what I mean? Why not message me personally about that? The people who were calling me out on Twitter, on Facebook, were people from abuse prevention organisations. Can you believe that? They know me. They know my work. They know my intentions are good. So to call me out like that, you think that's helpful? Like, we're, we're all on the same team here, right? We all want the same goals to prevent this from happening to children. For, so for you to write posts about me saying that I'm a concern and that I've got a conviction on my DBS check, which I have, but that shouldn't be an issue, right? If you want 
somebody to go into a school and talk about drugs. Somebody who's been involved in drugs that's got a conviction for drugs but is now out reformed, done their prison time, is now going around schools telling the young children never to take drugs. You're not going to turn him away for a DBS check, right? Like, just message me personally and say, Jeremy, I think it'd be helpful if you did a safeguarding course. Um, I'll be like, yeah, let's chat about it and I'll do it. But to call me out on social media like that, I lost sleep over that, right? I lost sleep over that. I felt trodden on, honestly. But I did the NSPCC safeguarding course online. It wasn't that good. Anyone who's listening to this from the NSPCC, I'd love to chat with you about that. But I did one afterwards, and I forget the organisation where it's from. I think it's called The Key. And that was a lot better. Now, that did talk about common signs, as usual, but it also did talk about the fact that some children don't show any signs because they think that actually they're not involved in any danger. Right, they're not involved in any danger, which they are. The examples that we've used here, 19-year-old on a 7-year-old, danger. 19-year-old on a 13-year-old, danger. It's all danger. It's all sexual abuse. It's all under the same umbrella. And it's all something that we need to work very hard to prevent from happening in the first place because it's giving people a lifetime of trauma. Some people are never recovering from this. They say that, an adult that went through sexual abuse in their childhood is three times more likely to commit suicide. Let that horror of the st that statistic sink in for you. So we're all on the same mission here. We've all got to shine a light on all the different sides of this crime. Whether that's uncomfortable for us or not, whether that's difficult for us to hear or not, I don't care whether it's uncomfortable for people to hear or not. I do care, actually. Let me let me take a step back there. That was, that was not the correct thing for me to say. I do care. And that's why I'm trying to communicate it in the most engaging ways possible. That's why I'm trying to put these analogies in there that people can relate to. That's why I'm trying to get a little laugh out of um, little parts of my presentation to, 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 to just make this easier to digest and make people think, you know what, I'm going to make change when I get out of here. I'm going to talk to my son. I'm going to talk to my daughter tonight as soon as I get home. Because why wouldn't I? They're the goals. They're the missions. And it is if we can save one child, then that's job done. But that's probably a low aim. We want to help all the children. Because all children deserve a right to a playful childhood without being exploited, taken advantage of, manipulated for an adult's perverse fantasies done that's the mission okay so thank you so much for listening to this watching on youtube we're releasing one of these every fortnight it's really growing the numbers are growing rapidly i hope you enjoyed it i hope it was insightful and i look forward to seeing you for another episode thank you okay so i wonder what you think about that i just remember recording it and when i got to the end i thought that went really really well but now it's up to the decision of the internet now that it's posted let's see what people think about it now as i open this podcast with saying we are always on the back foot with the sensitive nature of the topics that i discuss here so please help me out send this podcast to somebody who you think would see value in it share it on your social 
media platforms. Press that like button. Leave your comment with your opinion and your thoughts. And that is one way we can kick into these algorithms and get this work spread to those that need it. And as always, I've got two websites ongoing, jeremyindica.com, somethingtosayofficial.com. Go check them out. It's so interesting. Everything that's going on right now is so engaging, motivating, and inspiring. And I hope you found the same in this podcast episode. Thank you for listening. Stay strong. I believe anything is possible and we can achieve it all. Thank you.